It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. I do not know how this show is going to go today, Bo. Why do you say that? Well, I'm, I'm in one of those weird moods because I'm on about three and a half to four hours of sleep last night. It's, it's great having sick little ones in the house. And then what's also great is when you're ready to go out of town, I'm going to go visit the mouse and Harry Potter down in Orlando for the rest of this week. That's why we're actually recording this show on Tuesday. We will be releasing it either Thursday or Friday um, when you guys are, are listening to this. So if you're, you're in the Orlando area and you, and you happen to listen to this, who knows if I might not be down there on the um, in the Disney rides, Universal rides, whatever the case may be. But I don't know. I'm hitting on about 60%, so I'm going to count on you to kind of carry me if, I, if I'm not my, my normal self today. That's what I'm here for, boss. Well, I think we have some good news, and then we'll kind of go through the, the intros, is that we, we found out that just this morning that uh, the, the Money Guy show was actually listed in U.S. News' list of the... Bo, go ahead. You probably got it up somewhere. It, it, it was U.S. News and World Report's top eight uh, finan- savvy personal finance podcasts. And there was pretty big names on there, so we felt incredibly... Um, you know, we felt we felt special to be on the list. We also felt very humble to be mentioned with some of those names because there's some pretty pretty big people on that list. Oh yeah, one of my one of my heroes was on there, Clark Howard. So it's always cool whenever we're, we're kind of in the same spoken in the same sentence with Clark Howard. Just doesn't you know? It's kind of like Wayne's World. Don't feel like I'm really that worthy for that. But um, let's let's jump right in. Let me tell you, if you want to go check us out, money-guy.com is our website. You can also go check us out on Facebook. We have a brand new YouTube channel, which has been, I think, pretty successful for only being up for about two weeks now. It's been awesome. I think um, what's pretty incredible is we kind of gave you the charge saying, hey, guys, let us know if you have some questions. Shoot them to us, and we'll start addressing your questions, and you guys answered. So we have um, have a number of questions sitting in the hopper, and actually today's show, um, one of the questions, Shelly, you're the one who sent this to it. It was so good, we decided... You know what? Rather than doing a money minute on this show, let's just go ahead and do a full out podcast on this one. And that tie, we're going to be talking about mutual fund investing. This is one of the easiest ways to get into investing is through mutual funds. Now, the investment world has opened up significantly in, year, in the most recent years with ETFs and some other things, and we do make use of those. But if you're brand new to investing or even seasoned investors, Mutual funds can really open you up to a lot of different asset allocations. But I'm going to let you go ahead and read that letter from our listener just so you can kind of go ahead and set the table for us. Well, I thought it was awesome because I kind of chuckled a little bit, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and start about halfway down. It says, you guys are extremely cautious on recommending mutual funds. And then, parentheses, I believe I once heard a reference to an Oakmark fund and tried to rewind a couple of times so I could catch and see what the mutual fund is. <laughs> I thought that was kind of hilarious. That's true. Um, she says, I enjoy mutual funds for long-term growth. I research with Morningstar, review the tenure of the manager, exp- expense percentage, rate of return, etc. And then this, this is her ultimate question. How in the world do I know if I am picking the best mutual fund for long-term growth? And final question, how often do I need to revisit our mutual funds and decide whether I need to move to a different mutual fund? And Shelly, you have no idea how timely this question is. We've been working on, um, I know we have 401k clients as well as, well, I'll go ahead and share with you because Bo's been kind of, and he can pile in here and kind of fill you in on the gaps, is that we have a brand new client that we've been, it's actually a podcast listener who is one of our out-of-state clients because we do have clients in 15 states now. Thank you, thank you, Money Guy Podcast, for helping us grow even in this dark economy. 
And we have, we're helping them with their retirement plan. And I was shocked when this is, I mean, these are some smart individuals that are in this plan and we're helping them with the asset allocation. And we are very limited in the choices. Bo, you want to kind of pick up the slack and let them know what happened? Yeah, so essentially what they have is they have a retirement plan that's set up. And, and because it's actually an employer-sponsored retirement plan, it's not one that we can necessarily take control of at Preston and Cleveland, but rather we can manage it inside of the confines of the investment advisor firm that's already managing it. And I'm not going to say their name, but I will go ahead and say this. If I said the name of this company, you've heard of it. You've 100% heard of it because it's a big boy. And this is what they told us. So, so we designed this entire IPS for this client, and we had about investment five, policy statement. I'm sorry, investment policy I hate it when statement. People use acronyms sorry, and don't my, explain it. My bad, my bad. <laughs> so we we designed essentially this investment statement saying this is how we want to manage your money. And so what I did is I actually worked directly with the investment advisor who manages the retirement plan. And I called him and I said, look, we want to make sure we use something that's that's conducive to your platform. Can we buy this fund in, in this, in this uh, individual's account? And he said, no. And I said, okay, well, can we buy this fund? And he said, no. And so I went through about seven or eight different fund families. And finally, I said, well, let me ask you a question. How come, how come none of these funds will work for you? And this is what he told me. He said, our platform has the ability to receive that mutual fund if someone wants to bring assets into us. And we can sell it, but we cannot buy it. And get this, this is why they can't buy the fund because it was a no-load, no-commission fund. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? So, so what could happen is, is if you brought money to this, to, to this company, they can accept it, they can hold it, they can sell it, but they can't buy it because they can't charge a load on the fund. And that's, that's one of those things, you kind of cringe when you hear that a little bit, so much so that we even had to alter. We essentially told our client, look, we're going to advise you on, on, this, on this account, but we can't, in right mind, charge you on this. We're going to kind of give you some advice and help you with it, but we can't charge you on this because it's going to be hard for us to add value if someone else is there already having their hand in the piggy bank pu pulling out 5%. Well, here's the thing, is, and I don't want people to think we're picking on the commission guys because, believe me, I've worked on that side of the, the street. I understand how it works. But what I do think what troubles me when you can't buy no-load mutual funds is I like the fact that, that we're able, because I, I, with the fee-only platform, I can buy commission funds, just load, you know, waive the, all the loads and fees, but I can also buy no-load funds. So the whole universe of investment options is open to us, and I like that because you know what? I'm nobody's hired gun. What my hired, the only hired gun I am is to go out for my clients and try to get the best investment choices possible. And if that best choice is an American fund that's a commissioned fund, okay, we'll go get that. But if it's also if it's a Vanguard fund that's super low cost, I want that access as well. So that do, that's what does trouble me. So we kind of started thinking, and this is how these shows evolve, is that we said, let's go ahead and start putting together some information to help the average do-it-yourselfer. If you're the type of person that likes free stuff, you're a do-it-yourselfer, go ahead and start rubbing your hands together because you're going to love what we're going to share today. And you're probably going, well, Brian, why in the world are you going to give me all this free advice? The reason is, and it's this simple, I'm not going to tell you specific funds because we, I think for legal disclaimer purposes, that's just not the right thing to do. But we're going to give you the tools where you can go figure this out very easily yourself. And now you're saying, well, gosh, you're telling me which funds I need to go buy by, by, by the right search criteria. Why would you do that? Here's, the, here's the, that answer. You know where we add value? Asset allocation. And I think what we do is very good on that. It's not something that just any Tom, Dick, or Harry who's walking in and off the street 
is going to be able to do it. There's a lot of background with all of us here having CFPs, both studying for the CFA, which is the Charter Financial Analyst, me having a background in public accounting for taxes. These things all go into that. So I'd rather just give you free advice because I think what we're that confident in what we do that it's okay just to give it away. So with that said, let's jump right in. I want to go through some basics first of what you got to think about with investing. First, I wrote on here and I said investments need a little TLC. Now, what did I mean by that when I, when I did it is that there's several things, and Bo, I'm going to let you jump in here too because I know I have some specific situations I can talk about, but style drift. If you, we had a case a few years ago where one of our clients referred us their mother, and she was in her 80s, and we got this portfolio. We even contacted an attorney at the time because I felt like it was so negligent what was going on. This is an 80-year-old that the, all the funds that were in the portfolio, if you rated them according to Morningstar, were either one, two, or three stars, with only two of them being three stars, the majority of them falling into one- and two-star funds. And you ask yourself, why in the world would somebody buy a one-star fund for a client? They didn't. Here's what happened. They bought funds for this client probably in the mid-'90s when things were rocking and rolling, then just forgot about it. You know, they got their 5% commission and just never went back and looked at it. Meanwhile, this 80-year-old client was probably in her mid-60s at the time these funds were purchased. She lost 40% of her holdings in the 2008 downturn. Can you imagine being in your 80s, which, you know, I don't know if anybody has relatives or maybe even yourself. As you get in your late 70s, early 80s, you're kind of getting where you don't like change anyway. And then you find out that 40% of your assets have disappeared it gets rough. Mm -hmm. So that's, got, that's why I say your investments need a little TLC, a little tender loving care. And I think that ties in exactly to Shelly's email because she said, I would love to think that I could purchase the perfect mutual fund and could leave it alone for 10 or 15 nope. years. It doesn't work that way, Shelly, unfortunately. Yeah, because I talk about style drift. That comes to mind. I sat in a 403B meeting once and um, they were talking about this great small cap fund. And, and, and then they said the, fan, the, the name of the fund. I was like, well, wait a minute, guys. I know that that used to be a small cap fund, but that fund is very much now a mid cap, meaning a mid-sized company. Now, by the way, when I say mid cap, small cap, large cap, let me explain what I mean by that. If you're, if you're buying a mutual fund that buys United States companies, meaning here in you know, obviously the great America country that we live in, it's less than $2 billion in market cap, that's a small company. That's probably not heard of them unless they're in your neck of the woods or they, you use their products. If you're between two and somewhere around 10 to 12, somewhere in that range, billion of market cap, you're considered a mid-cap stock. You know, I used to could say that Netflix was there. I think that they've, maybe they're falling back down to where they are <laughs> right, in mid-cap. Right. Um, H&R Block used to be there. Um, you know, so some of the companies you did recognize. And then once you break that, that you know, double digits on the billions of market cap, meaning the value of the company according to the stock prices, you're into the large companies. And there's not a ton of those. That's your household names. And I, I just tell people, you've got to watch, because you buy a small company mutual fund, managers sometimes they have hard times filling that, that portfolio, or maybe they become successful and have a lot of money coming their way, and they, there's limitations on how much small companies they can buy, so they start drifting into mid-cap. That's a scary thing, so you've got to be careful about that. Um, I also talk about the reason you have to make sure you give a little TLC, managers change. Absolutely. I mean, we have a, we've, we've actually gotten, the, the firm's gotten big enough that we've hired an outside consultant for the first time to kind of help us keep up with all the, the fund trends and investment trends because it's nice to have somebody look at, the, look at what's going on 
And I'm going to give us a compliment and a plug is that he said out of all the, the many, many firms that he's helped giving advice to, he felt like ours was, what did he say, top three? He said three the top or? three best, best at fund selection that he had ever so seen. So it kind of gave us some affirmation. You know, who knows if he tell, tells that to every one of his clients, <laughs> but, you know, it made me feel good, even if he, you know, might be a great tool on his part. But he was brought some funds to our attention that we have a rule here. We don't like to buy stuff unless it, the fund's been around for five years because um, I like buying track records, and I still think that's great advice if you're, if you're trying to figure out how to screen funds, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in a minute with an actual tool. But what he was able to show us is that some of these managers are such rock stars. They can leave a fund that they've been at for 10, 15 years, done an incredible thing, start their own fund company, or go join up with a new shop and then take off. And, you know, so if you have two to three years of track record there, but then you have 10 years at their previous and place, you can tell that these guys are leaders. So you got to watch out for manager change because you don't want to be, Bo, you had talked about in show note preparation, the Fidelity Magellan. Fidelity Magellan is, is a very popular fund that um, that I'm sure if you lived through the 80s and 90s, you've heard of because it, it was an awesome, awesome fund that made a lot of people money. But what people don't realize is it wasn't because the Fidelity Magellan fund was anything special. It was because the manager at the time was a rock star. He was a big deal who did a great job. And I think what we likened it to in show notes is the the team or the ship is only as good as its captain or quarterback. Right. You know? it, it does make a, a big difference. And then I'd put under the third point on you need a little TLC with your investments is the world changes. And this kind of goes back to that that mother of our client that was in her 80s is that you think about, I talked about in the last podcast we did, is how to spot opportunities. The world changes constantly. And that's where, like I said, you wonder why I give things away. It's because I know that it's hard to keep up with how often the world changes. So we feel pretty secure in our jobs that we're going to still have clients that want us based upon how fast things move in this economy. So those are the, the really the three things on why you've got to focus on looking at your portfolio, rebalancing. I didn't even touch into rebalancing because you will have asset classes that do well over an extended period of time and some that get their teeth kicked in that maybe that's the most opportune time to go into those asset classes. So that all ties in. Here's the big part of asset allocation and investing also is you have to understand how your age, which you know ties into your time horizon, your goals, as well as your risk tolerance all impact how you're going to do your investments because these things directly do impact everything. I went on to talk about, and Bo, I'm gonna let you kind of add some color to all this too, is that um, mutual fund screeners, this is what I love about technology. It used to be, can you, I can't imagine how you would buy mutual funds back 20 years ago. Is, you know, I look back, I guess what you would do is buy exactly what we just talked about. You go buy Fidelity Magellan because right. you heard about it at a cocktail party. You, maybe you look in the, the articles out there, you get the magazine, the annual magazine from Kiplinger's on the top funds of that year. But now we are light years. Just like you have iPhones, iPads, and your life has changed for the greater good for those things, so is your investment ability to do this on your own. That's why I don't know how investment managers who don't have the backgrounds that we have do it because I would be shaking in my boots if I wasn't confident because the tools are incredible now. Let me go ahead and tell you about two of them. Yahoo Finance has a mutual fund screener. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't waste a lot of time on that one. I don't think it's that good. We're going to go ahead and move on to the Morningstar screen. But let me tell you what I, I did think it was funny. I did a show on mutual fund screens originally back in, I think it was around April of 2009. You can right. go type in, if you're a premium member, 
and you can get into all of our archives. It's called the fund, Mutual Fund Screener. If you type that in on the search engine, it'll bring it up. I believe I did it in April of 2009. But I did a, they, on the, the Yahoo, this is why it's not worth really putting that much into it. If you want to, they have a, some preset screens that you can do, which sets criteria. And the criteria, it's called head of the class screen. And what they require on this is it has to have a morning, the funds within to make this screen have to have a Morningstar rating of five stars. That's the highest. It's one yep, out of five that's, on Morningstar. That's the stars. highest. Expense ratio of less than 1% and a five-year annualized return of greater than 25%. Now, the reason I tell you I did this back in 2009 is I ran that screen, and I picked on this Yahoo Finance mutual fund screener because zero funds met that criteria. Well, for giggles, I went and did it again today. You know how many funds made it? How many? One. Wow. But it cracked me up. What do you think? I have, this, by the way, is, guys, impromptu. Bo has no idea that I'm asking these questions. What fund or what asset class? Let's just keep it out of the funds. What asset class probably exceeded twenty five percent over the last five years? So it's a it's a mutual fund with a five star Morningstar rating, less than one percent expense ratio, and an annualized return greater than twenty five percent. Yeah, five year basis. Right. Well, okay. You Here's, don't want to be. You don't want to look bad. I don't want to look bad. So just know that if I get this horribly wrong. I'm probably going to edit this part of the show out. So, guys, you might not have been hearing this right now. Okay. It had to be gold. The Van Eck International Investors Gold Fund. Go look at our new YouTube channel, and I think you'll quickly see that um, gold might not be all that, that it's cracked up to be here. Actually, when I see something like this, I start thinking bubble gum. Bubble gum. Come on, bubble gum. What do you do with bubble gum? Oh, you blow a bubble. That's exactly and it, right. And it eventually pops. So that's what. Uh, so don't waste your time on the the Yahoo's because I think truthfully all it's doing is pulling off Morningstar data. So let's move on to where the meat is. And I couldn't believe. It. I tell you what. Now they've gotten smarter. When I did this show back in two thousand nine, I was able. And matter of fact, Bo, tell them about our premium section. What we offer uh, on that. And believe me, guys, I'm not the best at. at totally marketing what we have, but we went back and looked at this tool that we put together uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, and we were like, holy cow, this thing is awesome. It's called, what is it, the, how's it laid the, out? The name of the title is Risk Questionnaire, and guys, and Brian won't brag on it, so I'll just go ahead and hop in here and do it for him. I'll be kind of our chief bragging officer. This thing rocks, and not to, toot, not to toot our own horn, but we put so much time into this that we really want it to be awesome, and this is the way that it shakes out. Our premium membership, for those of you who, who aren't a premium member, it's 30 bucks. It's like 29.97 a year for premium membership. But this is what's so special about this risk questionnaire part of our premium membership. If you go to if you if you log in as a premium member, go over to the members tab and scroll down to risk questionnaire. We have put on a webinar that actually walks you through how to use the risk questionnaire profile we've put out there. So we put out a, how many questions is it? 13, no. 12, 15, 18, a risk questionnaire you answer the questions, and it'll say, you should probably think about one of these five model portfolios. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? Model portfolio. But how do you know which funds to buy? Well, then you click on the model portfolio, and it'll even break down percentage-wise into each asset a class that you should be investing in. And so then you're like, all right, I know which model portfolio. I know what percentage is going to asset class. Well, then we go even a step further. And Brian, the man, Preston, walks you through how to go to Morningstar.com and do a full-on screen 
to select the best of the best of the best mutual funds so if out you're, there. So if you are a premium member, go use this. That's why I don't think people know that that's got a mutual fund screen and structure t- tutorial in, built into it. And I'm blushing a little bit. I think that was a little over the top. I would not have marketed it that much, but that's okay. We'll, we'll let you be the chief bragger. But um, if you go to, to Morningstar.com and go to mutual fund, go to tools, which will be on the right-hand side of the screen, go to tools on the tab. You'll go right to, you'll see screener. You can do a stock screener. You can do an ETF screener. I'm going to recommend you do the mutual fund screener. And this thing's incredible because it has tremendous flexibility compared to the Yahoo screener. Um, you can do, if you go, look up there in the upper left-hand corner, it does have some quick ranks where you can actually go and, and do some set screens that they've done. But if you want to get really kind of randy with it and, and go into you can go sort by Morningstar category. This is one of the things I'd focus on because that's where you can go pull the asset allocation where you can do large cap growth, large cap blend, small companies, international. Heck, you could probably even do gold funds, commodity funds. You can go as deep as you want to with this. This thing is so similar to the software that we use that we're paying thousands of dollars a year for. So it's kind of unbelievable. Now, I will tell you, it used to be when I did this show back in 2009, you didn't even have to register with Morningstar. You just go on the site, click tools, bam, you're in. Now it's going to tell you after you click tools that, hey, you've reached a section that you at least need to register. It's still free, but you have to register and give them your email address. So go ahead and do that. I don't think it's the end of the world. But you can set this thing up by cost, you know, because we, I've talked about, and I know, Bo, you had, you had this in your notes too, is you got to look at what the loads and internal expenses are because, believe me, this directly impacts your long-term performance. Why don't you touch on real quick, Brian, the difference in share class? Because I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't recognize when they see like an A or a B or a C after a mutual fund. Right. And an A class is, is the one, what that means typically when you're dealing with loaded commission-based mutual funds is they're going to have the highest front-end commission, but for your reward for paying the commission on the front-end is they're going to give you a lower internal expense. Now you're saying, what's the difference? What, what are you talking about internal expense and loads and commissions? Loads is and the commissions are exactly what the people who are selling it, the guy who's getting you to fill out the paperwork, what he's getting paid to, to bring this product to you. Um, hence why you, we see something say no load, you know that whoever's selling you the no load, they must be getting paid some other way, either through what's called assets under management, where they take a percentage of what you're managing, or they do it by the hour, something like that. But commission is what the person who's selling it is getting paid. When you hear the word internal expenses, that's actually what the mutual fund manager is getting paid to pay for the mutual fund company, pay for all the trading costs, pay for all the, the you know literature, the Super Bowl ads, everything else that goes into running a mutual fund company. That's what the internal expense is. So you have to pay attention to those two expenses Tremendously. And then did you mention B, B share and C share? Yeah, and I think thanks for bringing me back on point because A shares, like I said, are going to give you a much higher commission on the front end, but they give you a much lower internal expense ratio. So they, they reward you for paying it on the front end. B shares are going to, and they, they kind of were brought into market. I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't like B shares. They were brought onto market because so many people were starting to buy Vanguard, Fidelity, no load mutual funds. So the, 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 the the commission mutual funds got very crafty and said, you know, what? let's get rid of our commission on the front end. Let's just drop that. We'll go with these B shares that don't have the front end commission, but they have much higher internal expense ratios. I mean, it's not uncommon to see internal expense ratios getting close, if not even exceeding 2% a year, which that, that's kind of crazy, especially when you find out they have 
deferred sales charges. Meaning, this is what I don't like about them. You put $10,000 in a fund, and I know a lot of you, you know, we've had a, ba- a rough time with the financial markets, but under historical terms, you put 10000 into a market, two years later, it's worth 13000 You You know, if you decide to get out of it because of exactly what I talked about, maybe the manager goes and starts a new fund company. You want to leave, guess what? Instead of paying that four or five percent front end commission you would have on the ten thousand dollars now you're going to pay the deferred back end sales commission on the full thirteen thousand so they're not only going to take a fee off of what you initially put in they're also going to take it on the earnings of your account i don't like that because you're getting a double whammy they're they're giving you a much higher internal expense ratio but they're also keeping you from voting with your feet you know because they're locking you in because most people aren't going to want to pay that deferred salary salary sales commission so since so many people started fighting the b shares they came up with option c and this was the one where you pay no front end commission um, but you still pay a high internal expense ratio it can still be closed. then they give the advisor a one percent to one and a quarter percent trail commission it's kind of a back-end commission that you that they get every year forever and the problem I don't like it. C shares, in theory, are I guess the best uh, of of what they're offering, except for one thing that I don't like about C shares. Usually, their internal expense ratios cannot compete with their no load counterparts, and that's really what hits you. I don't mind that they're taking the one percent commission annually out of there. It's just that it's not fair to that if you have the option of buying a good large cap fund that has a, a no load large cap fund that has an internal expense of say half of one percent. Meanwhile, this C share is charging you close to 2%. That's 1.5% that you're not getting any value out of. It's just the way that they're, they're, they're structured. So that's kind of a great question, A, B, and C. I will tell you there's also I-class shares. They, different fund companies call them different things, like, but they're institutional, meaning that if you're buying large chunks, they waive most of the, 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 the fees, and they drop their internal expenses considerably because it's like going to Sam's and buying in bulk. So, so that's probably that's a great question, Bo. I'm glad you asked that because there's a lot of people probably wondering about that. So we look at loads and internal expense ratios, but then we also go to the 1, 3, 5, and 10-year averages. And that's, that's a big difference. That Yahoo screen only lets you do 1, 3, and 5. Okay. This, this Morningstar mutual fund screen lets you do 1, 3, 5, or 10. And you can do as many as you want. And why is that significant, especially considering our market environment right now? Well, I think it just shows you the average long-term, I say really, you're not long-term on your investment philosophy unless you're at least five to seven years. So you want to, it kind of shows you how things level out, the good times, the bad times, and on average. So I definitely think it's nice when they have a good long-term track record to show you. But you you know, you do have to pay attention to the managers as well. Um, I want to talk about, because what's great about this fund screen is that you get to choose, you can look at the 1, 3, 5, or 10, and, you know, it's just like I told you on that previous screen, it had greater returns than 25%. Who's made 25% besides a gold fund? What I like about what this Morningstar screen does, you can do category average. Why is that powerful? It's because if everybody's getting their teeth kicked in, don't you at least want to find out which one's not getting their teeth kicked in as much as everybody else? Maybe they're beating 99% of the other advisors in their category. That's what this screen lets you do. You can go and sort by category average where you don't have to put in a greater return than 25%. You can just say, hey, I want the, the five-year performance that beats the category average. 
that's going to, it's going to break it down. So then you're going to get to a point where you say, it's still after you do the category average, you're going to end up with you know, a list of 20 funds. You're going to say, well, how in the world do I, do I break it down further? They're going to have a button on the, the right called the fund score. You click on that fund score, and it's going to allow you to re-rank according to criteria. It's going to bring up a Java, Java script, little interactive thing. This thing is really incredible for free. And I don't mean to get so excited, but I just, guys, in addition to being an asset advisor, I'm actually a tightwad too, just like many of you guys are. So if I can get something for free like this, if it's your, your do-it-yourselfer, I want you to have all the tools possible. And I think you can tell I really get excited about this. And a lot of you guys, because I get comments and calls from you saying, hey, what is it? when do you think is a good time to hire an investment advisor like yourself, Brian? I always tell people, and, and you know, this is maybe it's because I understand the stuff, but I always think most people, especially if you're listening to a personal finance podcast like this, you probably don't need somebody until you get over 200000 in assets anyway. A lot of you guys are going to be able to do this on your own just through some of the tool sets that I've talked about today. Now, I do think once you get over $200,000 in assets, you might want to start enlisting the help of others, not just because you've outgrown your ability to do it, just because the market's kind of stacked to you, against you a little bit. It's because you'll notice a lot of these, like when, I, I know when that, that search criteria we did when we did the webinar that's under that right. risk questionnaire, one of the things that we do is on small cap investing. So meaning buying U.S. small companies. And we did went through a whole screen with the, the, the viewers, and one of our funds pops up. But it's one of our funds that's been closed to new investors for the last 11 years. Well, guess what? You can't get into that fund anymore. But because we're an institutional advisory firm, we still can't because they treat us as the client and versus you, the retail customer, being the client. Also, it's that whole thing about institutional funds, going to SAMs and purchasing in bulk is that we have access to some of the best managers out there, Bill Gross and others, that just because we're buying in bulk with million dollars and greater sums of money, that it helps us out. So that's why I say do it on your own as long as you can, but there does come a point, and this is the problem I think when I grew up in a household, my great skill set, my dad never understood it. His right. idea of investing was CDs and, and, and not really, because he didn't want to pay anybody. But there does come a point where, you know, you might have to come off a little bit to make a little bit. And I always say, if you're worried about paying somebody to do it, make them accountable. I'm always shocked at how many people don't get to see their performance with their advisor. Right. You know, they come to me after they've been with an advisor for six, seven, eight years, and I say, well, how much did they make you over the last three years? Or how much would they do in 2008 for you? And they go, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You mean they didn't send you a quarterly report or an annual report that showed you how you did compared to the indexes as well as how you've done since they, you hired them? I'm shocked. I think if you're, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about paying fees, but uh, I think it, there's nothing wrong with also understanding how to hold somebody accountable right. and making sure they're doing the right thing. Bo, I've kind of gone through, as I told you, hitting on about 60%. You know, got a little caffeine pumping in me. Uh, you know, getting ready to go hang out with old Harry and Mickey. What, what, what did you want to add to today's show? So what I, what I would do is I would just... I want to circle back around and I'll give you kind of the two-minute two summary to answer Shelly's question about how do I know if I'm picking the best mutual fund and then wh how often do I need to revisit? And this is what you need to think of. First, first off, you need to decide what you want to buy. Um, you, you need to think about, okay, do I just want to buy one fund or do I want to buy a number of funds with a bunch of different asset classes? So you decide, I want to buy into a certain asset class, um, large cap, mid cap, small cap, whatever that is. 
then you need to think about your strategy. Do I want a large cap growth fund? Do I want a large cap value fund? Do I want a blended fund? What do I want this fund to accomplish? From there, then you go to your screener. I want to look up large cap value funds, and this is what I want to see. I want to see funds that have less than 1% expense ratio. I want a five-year annualized return of at least 3%, and I want a 10-year annualized return of at least 5%. Let it spit that out. And then once you get to the point where you have five or six funds, almost all these fund companies have a website. Go read what their philosophy is. How do they look at managing money, and what do they think is going on? Is that something that you agree with? And if it is, that's probably a good fund for you. How often should you revisit it? I'll kind of tell you what we do. We like to look at revisiting allocations. We look at every portfolio every quarter, but we look at revisiting allocations twice a year. Doesn't mean we make changes, just means we stay abreast of what's going on and make sure that we're still in balance as far as rebalancing in our tactical allocations. Yeah, we had one of those meetings this morning, snooze fest, guys. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think Bo loves this stuff. Sometimes after we've been at it for about 45 minutes on talking about asset allocation, I'm like, seriously, guys, <laughs> we're really going to keep talking about this at this point? So I know you enjoy it. Well, though, this comes from the guy who loves looking at Schedule A and doing company <laughs> financials, too. And I do. And I, I enjoy asset allocation. Don't get me wrong. But there does come a point where you just totally, un, I mean, there's no mercy whatsoever as you're just pounding on that horse as he's laying there on the <laughs> ground. But um, it, I think this is the stuff that adds value in portfolios. But Guys, thanks so much for, for listening to the show. Thank you for letting us be one of the top-rated blogs and podcasts out there. We're doing everything we can. Remember, we're not driven by a big Fortune 500 company. I was reading, I don't know if you saw, saw this, Bo, is that that is that blog site TechCrunch right. that um, you know AOL's had all kind of things going on because they bought it for $30 million. By the way, nobody's called us about buying our for $30 million. <laughs> so we don't have a big corporation pushing this thing. You are it, guys. So any feedback you can give us on iTunes, um, you know, like I said, if you listen to this, you've been doing it yourself, you now have a little bit of success, we'd love to talk to you on that side too because that has helped us getting clients all over the country. And we just want to be here for you, help you go beyond common sense. I don't use our tagline enough. But also, we want to restore order to your financial chaos. Go check us out, money-guy.com. And then also, guys, if you have any questions, you can write Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Or if you have a Money Minute question you would like answered in a video, we'll send you an email. You can shoot it out to your friends and family. You can write me, Bo, that's B-O, at money-guy.com. Nice. I like how you brought that in. Look at you, locking it in. <laughs> okay, guys, thanks so much. We'll talk to you in about two weeks, and I'll um, hopefully be able to give you a little bit of update on how great um, my, my buddies down in Orlando are. Talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 